G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. What would God have us do on Wednesday? Well, our special guest this hour to talk through some of these sorts of things, uh, an important issue to talk about, and I think you'll understand as we get into the conversation. But Dr. Ryan Messmore, he's founding executive director of the Millis Institute, part of the Christian Heritage College in Queensland. Uh, Before moving to Brisbane, Dr. Messmore served as president of Campion College, a liberal arts college in Sydney. He's also served as a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, the largest research and education institution think tank in Washington, D.C. in the U.S. Well, his research and writing examined how religious commitments are brought to bear on political life to improve public discourse and strengthen civil society. So, you know, he's got a little bit of depth when it comes to this issue of connecting what we do as Christian believers to actually having an influence on wider society. And so the topic of our discussion today, as I say, does sound a little cryptic. What would God have us do on Wednesday? Ryan Messmore, who's sitting with me in the studio. Ryan, welcome along. Thank you. Good to be with you on a Wednesday. Okay, this is Wednesday. And so uh, for our topic, what would God have us do on Wednesday? You better explain to us what this means. Yeah, this came out of a question that a friend asked me a while ago, and it's always stuck with me. Um, And it's been very helpful in my thinking through my role as an educator. Um, He asked the question, um, just for the sake of argument, suppose that all of our evangelistic efforts, all of our apologetics, all of our prayers are answered, and next Tuesday, every single person alive on the face of the earth becomes a Christian. The question is, what would God want us to do on Wednesday? <laughs> what would God want us to do after that? <laughs> <laughs> well, as some would say, uh, that is an unlikely possibility that uh, right. <laughs> all of our prayers will be answered and everyone will be Christian by next Tuesday. But Uh, It does create uh, a lot of questions about what we do uh, with our time when we are Christian believers, and uh, we might be assuming that that, uh, maybe our prayers won't be answered, and so we have work to do, but this question does present itself. That's right. And and depending on how you think about that question, it, it can lead to kind of a, a way of thinking about the world where we compartmentalize um, the, the sacred over on one side and the secular over on the other. And we assume that the sacred, that the part that God really cares about, uh, are you know taking mission trips and preaching and worshiping on a Sunday morning. So another way to ask that question is, does God care about what we do on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday? You know, the, the so-called secular um, activities that we engage, going to work, uh, preparing food, educating children. Um, are those less worthy things? Um, are those things that we should only care about after everybody is saved? Or does God did God create those for good purpose and we should be about those things every day? Well, there's an issue here because uh, for a lot of Christians, uh, we think that we need to spend all of our time 
pursuing some level of sacred uh, lifestyle, uh, those sorts of sacred pursuits. And I guess for listeners to Christian Radio, there's that constant encouragement to be involved in sacred pursuits, probably because uh, the majority of us need that gentle nudge, that encouragement to actually be involved in the sacred pursuits. And we're not going to stop talking about those things. But it's an interesting dimension to talk about today, about the other pursuits because the other pursuits may not be less important than the sacred pursuits when you think more deeply about them. That's right. Um, I I think one kind of touchstone here for our conversation would be um, Abraham Kuyper's famous uh, quote. Abraham Kuyper was um, a Christian. He was uh, the head of a a, a Christian uh, university, head of a newspaper, and even prime minister of the Netherlands. So quite quite an accomplished man. But uh, Kuyper said... um, that uh, Jesus looks down on every square inch of creation and says, mine. In other words, there's not um, some sort of um, side <laughs> component of God's world that he cares about, and he can just let the rest of it you know, go on as, as it will. He created all of it, every square inch of it, every realm of activity of human life. He created, and he created good, and he looks down on it and he says, mine, I care about that. I want you to pursue that. I want you to be excellent about it. Um, but I want you to do it to bring me glory. So, so that's a, a way of – Kuiper's quote there is a way of seeing all of life as potentially sacred if done to the glory of God. Well, in our society, which some people will say, and I think it's probably quite obvious, it's becoming more increasingly secularized. In other words, there's uh, a pushing off to the sides, the idea of religious pursuits and these other things that people do in their lives. They're not religious pursuits, not Christian pursuits, and so therefore they are separated. Uh, This idea of the separation of uh, those religious pursuits and secular pursuits, uh, that ought not to be the sorts of thinking that we hold as Christians. We've got to adjust ourselves a little bit to understand that the things we do that are not necessarily sacred are also important in God's sight. That's right. I mean, Part of a, a secular secularization or secularizing influence in culture does tempt us to do just that. It says, "Okay, you can you can have your private Christian beliefs, but but do that in the privacy of your own church. Do that on a Sunday morning. Talk about that at home, but don't bring that into the public square. The public needs to be secular. It needs to be, we think, <laughs> devoid of." religious commitments, um, you know, the authority of um, a God who created everything for a purpose. And the temptation is that that for Christians to buy into that way of thinking, um, to say, yes, we do think there's a sacred and a secular, that God cares only about this range of activities, and that if you truly care about God, you will pursue one of those activities. And we often fall into this trap by, by using language of full-time uh, Christian ministry, um, as if, uh, you know, God would have some of us to put food on the table and and involved in only part-time Christian ministry. No, he wants us all at every moment of our day to be fully at all times devoted to him. The trick is to see a way to do that through the common natural activities of life. 
So when we talk about those common natural activities, I guess our conversation today could actually be about ordinary and some might even describe them as mundane things that we do through our week. So while you go to church on Sunday and you are pursuing those Christian endeavours that you might have on maybe another night or in the week or you might do some sort of Saturday activity, things like raising the kids, going through all the processes Uh, say, for mums uh, who are preparing those evening meals, uh, who are, uh, and it's men, of course, uh, involved in this as a parenting uh, exercise. It's washing the clothes. It's doing all of those things that you do uh, when you're raising a family. But it's also being involved in your, uh, you know, sporting team that your children are a part of, you know, a dad taking a role as a coach or a mum taking a role as a coach, maybe on a netball team or something like that. These are the sorts of things that somehow or other we are led to believe are separated from our faith, but they're not. No. And part of it is is understanding, um, first of all, what what is the human being that God created in his image? Um, He created men and women um, as, as wonderful, marvelous creatures who, who mirror him. They, they mirror his love of beauty. They mirror his ability to think. They mirror his ability to communicate. They mirror his ability to create, to create meals, to write poems, to, to write music, to build buildings. Um, and God, God creates nothing bad. Everything that God creates, he creates good and for a good purpose. And so to cultivate those potentials that he has put within us, um, even though our culture may tempt us to say that's boring, that's bland, that's non-significant. That's actually to cultivate the very image of God. Um, it, it, it's, to, um, it's to fulfill the purposes for which he created us in the beginning. And he created us as babies who need educated. He created us as stomachs that, that are hungry, that need to be filled. And, and thus, cooking the meal, cleaning the diaper, all of these very mundane things, these are actually part of they make up the fabric of human life that God created as good. Well, Ryan, what about uh, some areas where they can get a little gray? Uh, the books we read, mm-hmm. uh, the Internet uh, services that we access, the movies that we go to see. And when we start to talk about all of these ordinary daily life things, uh, there is a sense, isn't there, in which uh, some of that's not bad. But, of course, there probably is a line you could cross in the books you read, the magazines you buy, the Internet uh, services you access, uh, the movies that you see. Those sort, right. there is, there's got to be a line there. But uh, how do we actually rightly, as a Christian, think about our pursuit and feeling good or guilty about those sorts of things? Right. Now we've gone from uh, the first chapter of the biblical story, which was creation. God creates everything good, and thus we can engage in those things and, and, and honor him. To the second chapter of the story, which is the fall. Uh, everything is perverted by sin. and Things are not as they should be. And thus we can pursue good things in perverted ways. Um, we can use good means of communication, um, the internet, magazines, and we can put perverted material in those and, and communicate through those. Um, so the key is going back and asking, what did God create these things for in the first place? What was his good intention in creating 
communication in commuting in creating knowledge, the ability to think and read. Um, and then as we move into a world beset by sin and the fall, we have to ask, where have these things gone off course? Where are they leading in directions that God did not intend? Um, but even part of the ability to answer that question requires that we cultivate discernment, that we become educated thinkers who know the difference between God's good intention and perversion. Okay, so let's talk about an individual, uh, and because a lot of those things we talked about, uh, people think of them as entertainment. Uh, But there's a deeper way that you can pursue those things in uh, gaining that discernment, gaining that understanding that you're talking about. So so when we talk about the books we read, well, we might have a choice of a whole lot of books. Some of those have crossed the line and uh, are influenced by this sinful nature that we have. But there are a lot of books that aren't across that line, and they're actually good books that will actually increase our understanding, increase our capacity to be an influence on our family and on our workplace and our wider community. The books we read are very important. Uh, Tell me about your thoughts and being an educator uh, when it comes to the books that we read. Yeah, uh, that's good. You know, this this is anchored in the conviction that that God created us as thinking creatures, that, that God is discerning. God is purposeful. He created us in his image. He wants us to think well. And so uh, C.S. Lewis even points out the fact that um, thinking and filling your mind with something is not an option. The only question is, what will you fill it with? He has this wonderful quote in a lecture he he gave um, where he said, "If if you attempted to suspend your whole intellectual and aesthetic activity, you would only succeed in substituting a worse cultural life for a better. You are not, in fact, going to read nothing. Uh, If you don't read good books, you will read bad ones. If you don't go on thinking rationally, you will think irrationally. Uh, So I think the question for us is what what are those books that will help us to cultivate our intellect, that will help us to think well and to think well upon the good things that God has created? Um, And I this is not to say that we should not read books that have differences of opinion. Uh, we, we can actually learn uh, part of what we need to discern the world around us and the times in which we live by reading books by, by non-Christian authors. Um, the question is, how, how, what will those um, – what will any book that we read, how will it shape us? How will it shape us as a human being? How will it shape the things that we like? How will it shape the things that we want? How will it shape our expectations and assumptions? Um, and that's where we need to uh, to be critical and thoughtful and discerning. We, we need to, to ask people that we trust, um, and here I think ask you know educators who have who have thought deeply about this thing, what what are the best things that we can read? You're on Vision. It's Neil with you on 2020. Our special guest this hour is uh, talking through some issues with us uh, with regard to what's sacred and what's secular and what's good or bad about the sorts of secular pursuits we might have as Christians. Dr. Ryan Messmore is the founding executive director of the Millis Institute, part of the Christian Heritage College in Brisbane. Loves to talk about these sorts of things. A little bit cryptic uh, with regard to our topic today. What would God have us do on Wednesday. 
Uh, Ryan, when we get into some of these things, and uh, some of our conversation today is based around some of the things that the great C.S. Lewis uh, began to talk to his students about uh, midway through the 20th century. Those things are still relevant for us today. He had a wonderful way of stimulating people to think about what was important. Indeed. Uh, one of my favorite uh, essays that he's written was actually a talk he gave to, to students uh, in Oxford uh, during World War II. And he's standing in front of his students, and he says, now, at the beginning of your studies, we have to ask this question. How, how can you justify being here in Oxford studying poetry and geometry when your um, you know, fellow citizens are out dying on the battlefield? You know, bigger things are at stake. How, how can you justify this? And then he says, of course, this is not a new question for Christians. We, we always have to be asking, uh, given that we know people are moving either toward heaven or hell, this eternal future, how can we spend any amount of time worried about studying, reading, uh, thinking, pondering questions when people are out there who haven't received the gospel. So he really puts you know, a, a very important question to these students. How do you justify sitting here at university, taking time to study when there are people who have not been saved? And I, I, I put this question to my students at the very you know, beginning of the Millis Institute when they show up to, to study. We, we read through Lewis's essay, and we put that question on the table. How can we justify? So, so do you then pause and wait for response from your students? Because there they are uh, taking this percentage of their life. It's a, it's a segment of their life to actually get into deeper issues uh, to understand the gospel, to understand society, to understand politics uh, more deeply, and uh, and you stop and you pause and you wait for their responses. What sort of responses do you get uh, when you say to the students, okay, you justify to me now why you're here when there are souls out there that need to hear the gospel? Right. A lot of them um, en- encounter that kind of as a, f- a fresh challenge. Um, a lot of them... Um, kind of have gone through the motions of what their parents have told them to do, what their society tells them to do. You graduate from high school, you go to university, you get a job. Uh, one of the, the things that we think is important to do is just to step back and say, why? Just why? What, it, is, is that the only way it, it could happen? Why do you go to university? And that causes, um, you know, that, that causes a lot of, of question because a lot of them are coming out of backgrounds where, where they understand that the most important thing in the world, in, in human life, is um, a relationship with their Lord. Um, and a lot of them are left without a strong answer, which is why C.S. Lewis is so helpful because he, he, he then kind of gives them a vocabulary and gives them categories to work with. And there's an interesting difference here, and I'll get your perspective, because people might go to a Christian university for a whole lot of different reasons than someone might assume that going to a secular university, where they might be studying medicine or law or engineering or any other number of business pursuits. But when someone goes along to a Christian university and they're interested in the things of God, they're interested in pursuing a sacred 
following a sacred type of career, uh, the motivation is somewhat different. So, uh, so it's interesting to ask a question like that to Christian people going to university about why they would actually be there, and uh, and there is a different a different motivation, isn't there? Yeah, I think a lot of um, students who come to a Christian university recognize that there's something more than just um, cold knowledge, the, the acquisition of facts in order to get a job. A lot of them sense, well, there's a different uh, dimension that we have to tend to, a spiritual dimension, um, and thus there's something more to ask of a Christian university in, in terms of how it forms you. Uh, it doesn't just cultivate the intellect, although it should do that. It also cultivates the whole person. So I think a lot of them um, come in with at least that desire. Um, What's interesting, though, is how even this uh, sacred-secular split that we were talking about earlier can play into a university curriculum. You think, ah, well, the Christian topics are you know, Christian worldview and um, religion, uh, maybe some moral or ethics classes. Um, but what, what we like to do at the Mills Institute is say, why does God want us to study geometry? Why does God want us to study grammar? Why does God want us to study science and astronomy? Why does God want us to read good literature? And then, again, because we're so tempted by that sacred-secular split, that's a hard question for many students to answer. And when we come back to motivations of why someone might want to study at a Christian university, a Christian theological college or one like Christian Heritage College, which has a number of different uh, faculties, dimensions that really uh, intersect with the real world, uh, school teachers and social science, all those sorts of things that uh, are happening at, at Christian Heritage College. But just in these last few days, it's been very prominent in the head lines, uh, that uh, there's a perception in Australian society that uh, unless you've got a university degree, it's very difficult to get a job. And this idea that employers have been expectant of university degrees in career paths that formerly haven't even needed a university degree. So, so there's is that some of that? Does some of that happen in a, in a in a Christian university setting where people feel like they have to have uh, some sort of a qualification to get ahead in uh, in their uh, in their uh, their career field. Does that sort of happen? Uh, I I think so. I mean that 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 tendency, especially um, in Australia, but in other Western countries as well, is so dominant. Uh, it's just part of the air you breathe in the educational system. You know, beginning in year one and all the way up, um, that that that's the pathway. That's the pathway. You you go to secondary school, you graduate, you choose a career, and then you go to university to become qualified in that career. Uh, now, uh, you know, Lewis talked about that as well, saying that's that's certainly important, and we need to provide training for people to perform the jobs that a society needs performed. The risk, however, is that if you only provide job training – and you don't provide what Lewis called education, then civilization dies. If you don't read the good literature, you will end up reading bad literature. If you don't think rationally, you will think irrationally. And thus people could, get, could be highly qualified to get their first job, but they haven't wrestled with the big questions. They haven't um, 
formed their entire person. They don't know what it means to honor God as a doctor or a dentist or an architect or a lawyer or a teacher. And pretty soon that catches up with civilization. And Lewis said it's a very real possibility that educators have to wrestle with. If we don't educate well, civilization can die. Wow, that's a powerful, uh, powerful point to make. And you might have your own insights to offer into our conversation today. Our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's take a call. Ursula is in New South Wales. Hello, Ursula. Welcome along. Oh, good morning. Um, thank you for having this conversation. I think it's very, very important. And I think the, the Kuiper quote there is, is really, really helpful when we think about that. But I think the um, the division of uh, secular and sacred is really unhelpful. Um, a better division would be good and evil. Like all through the Bible, it never talks about the secular or sacred. It talks about good and evil. And uh, I think that division would help us in many ways. Two ways I can think of right now is, uh, one, the world often wants to, you know, use that secular, sacred um, thing to shut us up. To say, you know, to keep your finger out of the, sacred, out of the secular, you know, to concentrate on your religion. Um, and if we say good and evil, we can say, well, you know, do you have any objections to us trying to contribute and, be, you know, be good for humanity? Like the second part of the parliamentary prayer actually says, you know, for the for the advancement of your glory and the good and the benefit of uh, the people of Australia. So that's, you know, that's one thing. Ursula, I think that's a great point because sometimes when we talk uh, sacred and secular, we're almost talking about uh, church and state, uh, the idea that, that somehow or other there's a, a difference between clergy and laity, uh, those people who somehow or other are specially qualified as as sacred, uh, but the difference, good and evil, a good point to make. Let's get some insight from uh, Dr. Ryan Messmore. Yeah, thank you for that uh, comment, Ursa. I think you are are very um, astute in, in noticing how dangerous that sacred-secular divide can be. And it's so important that, that Christians, that we don't buy into that, because you're right, that, that simply relegates us to one corner of life, um, one, one small subset of activities like preaching or worshiping on a Sunday morning, and it—, it it gives everything else in life over to the supposedly neutral secular public, which is not neutral at all. You're absolutely right that um, there is an assumption about what is good. There is an assumption about what is right uh, that is being offered by our society. Um, it may claim to be neutral, um, but it's not. It's And, and unless we, we say, no, let's be honest, you're offering a vision of the good life. We have an alternate vision of the good life as Christians. Let's talk about where they're different. Let's talk about how um, you know we can compare and and, and contrast and and, and debate. Uh, but but to buy in to that conversation that uh, we're we're sacred, we're not secular. Therefore, we have no business in the public square. Just cuts our, the legs out from under the Christian to begin with. Ursula, before I let you go, uh, my little note here says you're calling from New South Wales. New South Wales is a big state. What's the town that you're in? Oh, Maria, just uh, 300 k south of Sydney. 
are wonderful. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking that time to give us a call and what a great contribution to make. Ursula, uh, thank you so much for being with us on 2020. Well, our talkback line is open, 1-800-316-316. You can contribute to our conversation. What would God have us do on Wednesday? I think that's becoming a little more clear as we get our conversation well and truly underway. It sounded a little bit cryptic at the beginning. What would God have us do on Wednesday? I think we could settle on something that clarifies that a little by God would have us do good things, not just sacred things, but good things for the whole of society. Is that the way you would uh, yeah. start to sort of, you know, unpack that a little bit, Ryan? Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, Wednesday representing in our thought experiment, the day after everybody becomes Christian, um, God wants us to do all the things he wants us to do today, <laughs> a week ahead of that. Um, he wants us to grow crops. He wants us to make food. He wants us to read books. He wants us to educate children. He wants us to make music, to build buildings, all of those natural activities which he created, and he created good. And I guess from the educator's point of view, all of those things in some way need to have a level of training so that you can pursue those with a level of excellence, which might reflect our uh, our being made in the image and likeness of God and the expectation that his children would do good things and do those good things well. Right, right. And he, I mean, you, you just built into the very kind of logic of his creation is I'm going to start with a garden and then at the end of the story it's going to become a city, the new Jerusalem. So even within what the way God wants things to work from the very beginning, he wants things to be developed, he wants them to be cultivated, he wants us to make things out of them. As you said, to train, to educate, uh, to to not just rest where we are, but to take potential and to grow that potential. And really, when you think about education, that's what the, the root word of education means. Education comes from the Latin ex ducere, which means to draw out, to draw out of a human being their inner potential and bring it to full uh, realization. Well, we're just about a minute away from news, uh, inviting listeners to be part of our conversation, our talkback line open, and we'll continue to take calls after the news on 1-800-316-316. Very quickly, Ryan, uh, your focus in your role at Christian Heritage College with the Millis Institute is this area of liberal arts. Mm -hmm. A very quick definition of what that means for listeners. Liberal arts is not one training for one particular job. It's teaching students how to think. So I like to call a, or a liberal arts degree a degree in thinking. Because if you can think, if you can reason well, you can go and do any job you want successfully. Uh, Ryan, as we get into this conversation, uh, let's just remind listeners where we're at. What would God have us do on Wednesday? Give us a quick uh, overview of what that means to you again. Right. Uh, it comes out of a thought experiment, um, which... which says if everybody became a Christian next Tuesday, what would God want us to do the next day? Would, would there be any court, sort of activities that he cared about anymore if there was no more missions trips and preaching? And, um, and, and my suggestion has been absolutely God would care about what we do on Wednesday because it's the same thing he wants us to do now um, as human beings created to 
grow food, educate children, read, build buildings, write music, all of those good natural human activities that he created good and that he wants us to flourish in. And we've been using terminology through the hour, those words sacred and secular. And a wonderful input that came from Ursula in the last hour who said, you know, a better way to talk about that is to talk about good and evil. But let's keep uh, with some of these terminologies that somehow or other uh, we have uh, an inbuilt idea of what those things mean. And if we were talking about sacred and secular for the uh, for the pursuit of understanding what those mean, even though good and evil is a good way to talk about these uh, these things or better terminology, let's talk about what people tend to think of when they think of sacred and secular. Yeah, well, the, the word secular has an interesting history itself. It, the way that we understand that word today and the way that we use it in our society today is not exactly the way that it began as a word in, in, um, in English. Uh, it's interesting that even on the back of the dollar bill, the American dollar bill in Latin, is you find that that root word of secular, um, and what it means is an a, a temporal order. Um, so there's an eternal secular, an eternal age, and there's a temporal age, the age that we're living in now. So it um, it does not it did not start out meaning what we assume by the word secular today, having nothing to do with religion. Uh, it does not mean neutral of any faith commitments. Uh, it means that which exists and was created for this present temp- for this present time, as distinguished from the eternal. So, secular does not mean non-religious. It means temporal. It means not yet eternal. And I think the challenge for Christians is to figure out what what does God want to be brought in to his eternal city that will last forever. And that's where it gets really, um, really interesting. If if you go and look at uh, passages in Scripture that talk about the new Jerusalem, that talk about this age to come, you will not just find written there a description of human beings standing around a chair singing to God. What you will find there are all sorts of cultural artifacts. You will find there the hewn timbers of Lebanon. You will find animals. You will find jewels. You will find things that humans have done with creation. And those will be brought into and laid down at the feet of the eternal king. So I think the the question for us is to not kind of divide up the world. God cares about these things. God doesn't care about these things. The question is, how can we relate to these secular, these temporal things over here so that they can be redeemed and find a place in eternity? There's lots more to talk about. We are taking calls, 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Chris in Victoria on the line. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Uh, good day, Neil. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to make any comment that's relevant, but I'll try anyway. Uh, I think, you know, when you're talking about information, it's like... You know, when you put garbage in, you get garbage out. And if you sow bad seeds, will you get rotten fruit? So it's just like that. I think, you know, children and people are learning in universities, what they're learning from is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil rather than the tree of life, which is God's absolute. And if you learn from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, well, you're only going to have your own concept of good and evil. As God said in the last days, they'll 
call good evil and evil good. So, you know, we have to stick to the tree of life, which is God's absolutes. And, uh, you know, that way, like even today, the, the Gonski report, the, the kids are not even learning in schools uh, how to read and write properly. They're, you know, uh, maybe it's because they're taking God's word out of the classroom. Mm, interesting thoughts in there. Uh, your response, Ryan Messmore? Yeah, th- thanks for that, Chris. I think it touches on um, something that we had mentioned earlier um, about uh, you know the, the key in all of this is to take the good things that God has created and then to ask, how will our relationship to these things shape us? Will they shape us more into the character of God? Or will they shape us negatively, perversely? Um, and, uh, you know, you, you said garbage in, garbage out. That, that's something we have to think about with anything that we read, anything in, in entertainment that we, um, you know, expose ourselves to. The question, how will this shape me? What kind of person will my engagement with this cause me to be? Um, everything that God created good can be perverted. Uh, you know that's that's the story of the human history of the fall. Um, so we we always need to wrestle with that question. That, that what I'm suggesting is that we not give in to the temptation to get rid of it entirely. To say because it can be perverted, we should have nothing to do with it. Because then we um, we just give our kids blindly to the the forces that are shaping them in our culture, rather than naming them and challenging them. Thank you to Chris from Victoria for your call, 1-800-316-316, to join in our conversation uh, talking about that cryptic question, what would God have us do on Wednesday? We're talking about faith. We're talking about reason. Mm -hmm. uh, Because if we're talking secular and we're talking sacred, uh, these sorts of things are a part of of our understanding about these things, faith and reason. Somehow, rather, there's this idea that if you separate the secular from the sacred, that one of those is a pursuit of faith and the other one is the pursuit of reason. And if we do that, we actually give up this idea that that Christians are reasoning people right. and that we can actually get into real depth of thinking right. and understanding about God. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's one of the, the key um, dangers of Christians buying into this sacred-secular split is because you say, okay, well, at least we get to hold on to our faith, but we've ceded reason. We've given away reason to the secular public square. And that's why the secular then turns around and says to us as Christians, don't bring your religious arguments into our public debates. Um, They're based on something other than reason. They're based on bigotry. They're based on superstition. They're based on prejudice. They're not reasonable. And Christians want to say, no, actually, faith and reason are not opposed to each other. They belong together. Faith, the Christian faith, is reasonable. So we, so as soon as you buy into the sacred-secular split, you also buy into this opposition between faith and reason. Just to refer back to a, a quote by C.S. Lewis, though, and just in one sentence, I think he he undermines this divorce between faith and reason. He says, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Isn't that interesting? That Lewis says, faith and reason go together. What you're having faith and holding on to faith is what you determined at one point to be reasonable. What challenges faith is not reason, but it's these changing moods, fear, despair, doubt, insecurity. Those are the uh, the things uh, that Lewis says 
That's where you need faith as a virtue is to hold on to those things that you know in your head and in your heart are true, that you've, you've demonstrated them before. But now fear has overcome you and you don't know what to do. At that point, you need to rely on, on faith. A, a wonderful example he uses is of um, going under the knife for, for an operation. It's like you know in your head, you know medically and scientifically what's taking place there. You know that you will be unconscious for a while and that you will come back out. You're not going to die on the, you know, 99.9% of people who have surgeries don't die. And you can reason your way through that. But when it's you on the table and you're it's going rough. under the knife, <laughs> something else, you know, some kind of a deep fear, well, well, ooh, it might be me this time, you know. And, um, so it's, we, we need to not pit faith against reason. Those two go together um, as ways of discerning truth. What we need to battle are changing um, emotions and fears. Let's take this another step. And while you talk about truth and faith, uh, when you've got a society that is trying to separate uh, the sacred and the secular, trying to maneuver the church out of having any sort of a place to speak into the public debate because that's all faith and that's not necessary. We just we just want you to be no faith type people. Uh, this issue of truth, though, when you bring that into the mix of understanding, is it the case that in some ways uh, churches, Christians uh, over generations have given up truth because they've made the secular university the place where truth is determined, mm. or they've made the media and uh, all sorts of different areas of the arts the place where truth is propagated and, and, and true. And somehow or other, we've let that go, and we're no longer the holders of the truth anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, this has a very complex history, but to try to make it understandable, I would, I would just say that truth is a very wonderful, glorious, multifaceted thing. You think about the truth of the universe. It's got all different dimensions. And each of those dimensions lends itself to be known in different ways. So there are different ways of knowing the truth. Uh, there's a physical dimension of creation. We know that through scientific experiment. There's a, a musical dimension to the universe. We know that through intuition. There's a moral dimension to the universe that God's created. We know that through conscience. There's a spiritual dimension, a spiritual reality, a spiritual truth. We know that through faith. Um, so the, the problem is um, in, in the simplistic sacred versus secular split. The secular realm has said there's only one way to know truth, and that's through scientific experiment, cause and effect. If the church buys into that, then it says – our truth is only that which can be known through faith, and we'll give everything else that can be known over to, you know, the, the, the larger culture. Um, we want to suggest, I want to suggest that that's, that's not <laughs> the best way to seek the full truth. To seek the full truth is to seek and hold together all the different ways that God has created the human being to know the world, scientific, spiritual, intuition, moral, aesthetic, all of them together, then we come to full knowledge of this wonderful truth. So what are we supposed to be doing on a Wednesday? We're supposed to be pursuing this truth. We're supposed to be... In all those different dimensions. We're not supposed to be just relaxing, uh, resting on our laurels. Right. 
Uh, we're not supposed to be just entertaining ourselves silly. Right. We're not supposed to be wasting time right. with things that are uh, bordering on or even in the realm of evil. We're right. supposed to be pursuing with all our heart those things that are good. Right. And we're not on Wednesday. We're not supposed to be limiting our activity to only what sounds hyper spiritual, uh, because there are other God ordained ways of knowing and relating to the universe that He wants us to explore and engage in, to know Him, to understand all, because He is reflected in all of these different dimensions of the universe that He's created. So if we say no, we're only going to spend our time focused on what we can know through preaching and singing then that's good. We'll get those things. But we'll miss a lot of the other dimensions of God's wonderful universe that he wants us. So he wants us to do all of that, Um, not secular versus sacred, both together, everything done in glory to God. Let's get to where the rubber really hits the road here, Ryan. Uh, I'm a school teacher or I'm a tradesperson Maybe I'm working on a assembly line in a factory. What does that mean to me if I'm going to be pursuing something deeper on a Wednesday? Mm. I, I think it would start by recognizing that the good work that you're doing, God cares about. And God does not view it as useless because you're not a youth group leader. <laughs> that an assembly line worker, a tradesman, is doing good activity. He's contributing um, to society. He's helping his neighbor. He's creating something with his hands. All of that is a reflection of the God in whose image that tradesman was created. And we need to, to begin by seeing it as good. Yes, God calls some people to be preachers and some people to be youth group leaders, but he can also call us to be bakers and butchers and candlestick makers. And that's good. We need to not think that God cares less about this realm of activity over here than he cares about this realm over here. He created it all. So I'm a person who's serving at the counter of a corner shop. And uh, there are people who are coming in and they're buying bread, they're buying milk, they're getting some something other things off the shelves. Uh, there is something special about my pursuit. It's the way that I'm looking at it. If I'm, if I'm looking at my career, if I'm looking at my vocation and I'm saying uh, this is nothing to do with God, in fact, maybe even blaming God uh, for where you might be in your career at this present time, that's actually a wrong attitude to have. Right. I I, I think we need to be honoring even the work of, um, you know, somebody selling milk at the corner store. They they are um, helping fellow human beings made in the image of God to live and to flourish. Um, And not only the content of what they're doing, but also how they go about doing it. Uh, They can go about doing it um, with a certain spirit of care and concern and honesty and integrity. And um, the, the key is seeing all of these different areas of work and labor and activity as being able to advance kingdom values. Now, it often doesn't feel like that. It often feels like drudgery and toil and watching the clock. Um, and, and that's because we live in a fallen world. So we were to expect that sometimes our work feels like work. <laughs> a biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 
on Vision Christian Radio. We're asking the question, what would God have us do on Wednesday? Our special guest is Dr. Ryan Messmore from Christian Heritage College. He heads up the Millis Institute. Uh, time for one more call before we have to uh, bring some loose ends together. Bev is in Queensland. Hi, Bev. Welcome along. Hello, Neil. Um, I've not heard all the conversation, but the little bit that I have heard, um, I feel as Christians we're called to be the best at what we do, whether it's cleaning toilets, sweeping the floors, mowing the grass, whatever. We do it to the best of our ability. Um, I think education has become a very much a small g God in people's lives these days, and it's leading us astray. Um, the, the scriptures say, teach the children the word of God, and God will show them the way to go. Um, there's a passion in my heart that people just have right attitude. Right attitude. Bev, great thoughts. And uh, Ryan, your thoughts and uh, response to Bev. Yeah, thank you for that, Bev. You remind me of a quote by Martin Luther King Jr., um, who said, um, if your vocation is street sweeping, then be the best street sweeper you can be. And the angels will look down from heaven and say, there is one who sweeped streets for the glory of God. So you're in good company, Bev, with Martin Luther King Jr. and in, um, in, in recognizing that all all activities, whatever activity God calls us to do, um, we should do it with gratitude. We should do it with um, a with excellence, a desire for excellence, and a desire to ultimately uh, serve Him. Bev from Queensland, thanks so much for your input today here on 2020 and uh, drawing some things to a close. And uh, I I was going to pursue with you, uh, Ryan, the idea that if you are the street sweeper or the person who's serving on the counter or on an assembly line, uh, that you might have aspirations to do something which follows the passion of your heart. It may not be your passion to always do what you are doing right now. Uh, but we haven't got a lot of time to pursue that, but people might like to uh, think uh, carefully about those things. I wanted to mention the organization in which you are a part, the Millis Institute. There is a website for the Millis Institute and for people to, as you were saying, learn how to think. Uh, millis.edu.au. Uh, Millis is a part of the CHC, the Christian Heritage College, which is based in Brisbane. That's CHC. .edu.au. There is an open day that's coming up uh, very soon. Uh, it's on this coming Saturday, I believe. This Saturday from 2 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Uh, there'll be music, there'll be food, there'll be opportunities to uh, ask questions uh, and, and find out more about the pathways that CHC offers, education, business, social sciences, ministry, and at Millis, the liberal arts. Uh, what I like about CHC is that it's not just a Bible college, that it does have all of these other dimensions to it, uh, training up school teachers with a Christian worldview, uh, training up people in business with a Christian worldview, training people in social sciences, such a necessary area given the secular influence on social science. Right. Uh, just a, a wonderful organization, the Christian Heritage College, chc.edu.au, and you can be in touch with our special guest, Dr. Ryan Messmore, when you go to the Millis website, millis.edu.au. Uh, Ryan, just great getting your insights, and I uh, hope we can do this again on another day. But uh, what a great topic. What would God have us do on a Wednesday? He would have us to pursue good things to his glory. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us today on 2020. Thanks for having me, Neil. 
Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.